Well, let's do that now. Let's pray and ask God for help. Father, use your word, the sword of your spirit. Do a work in us as we read it. Give me words that I might speak your gospel fearlessly as I should. And we pray, please, that you would change us, even save people tonight. Uh, Use this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the best way to lose a fight is not to realize that you're in a fight. If you're ever in a big square with a crowd and a guy called uh, Conan McGregor is just punching you in the face, you're in a fight and you're probably not going to win that, especially if you don't realize that you're in that fight. Um, I wonder what battles you would say you're in right now. If you would make a list. Mental health battles. Maybe financial. Relationship or not having one. Is it work or study? Maybe it's even battles with yourself, your weaknesses, temptations, sin. This week and last week, we're talking about a battle that you may not have put on the list. It's not a good starting place unless you want to lose it. Tonight, we're talking about the fact that you are in a spiritual fight. And it's no ordinary battle. Look at verse 12 of that passage, Ephesians chapter 6, keep it open. And it says our struggle, it's talking about this fight that we're in. It says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. The main enemy that you face is not your boss or your lecturer or your teacher, no matter how much they may seem opposed to everything you believe in. Your enemy is not the government or even far worse governments out there around the world. Your enemy is not even our culture or society. And it's not even primarily yourself, your, your sin, your weakness. Now, the enemy will use every single one of those things But if you think that's all you're fighting, you're going to go into battle wearing a kid's bicycle helmet instead of armor. Paul wants you to know our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But he goes on to say it's against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world. What's that? Well, he explains it in the last one. The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The enemies are spiritual They're in the heavenly realms. There's a spiritual dimension to life, and they are, it says, evil. The four words there, rulers, authorities, powers, spiritual forces, they're all talking about the same reality, the demonic realm, which is led, verse 11, by the devil. And it says he makes, look at that, schemes, plans, clever plans. Uh, So we're doing two weeks on this topic, topic of spiritual warfare. And last week, that's what we saw, that Satan and the spiritual forces are real, And we also saw what they're up to. Um, So this week, we're going to look at, well, okay, how do we fight? What's our place in that battle? But just a quick recap. Do you remember last week we saw what they're up to? And it's not the weird freaky stuff like making people levitate and their heads spin around. They're far too clever for that kind of thing. How would that help them? They've got almost the entire Western world thinking that anything spiritual is just a complete joke. That is a clever plan. And maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you're watching, you're new to these things. It's great to have you with us. Or even if you're not new, deep down, maybe you deep down think, nah, not really. But what if that was actually his goal? What if, to quote a 90s movie, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist? That's actually pretty good camouflage, isn't it? 
Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, and he says this, it'll come up. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, the, the human race, can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the devils, are equally pleased by both errors. They'll hail a materialist, they don't exist, or a magician, I'm obsessed, with the same delight. Either way, it's a victory. There are some cultures through history, maybe, and even some now, where it seems that Satan has gone that route of getting everyone obsessed with the spiritual. And that's just another way of distracting us from the true God. In those cultures, you do see some freaky stuff. Overseas missionaries will tell you the stories. Don't forget, Jesus did cast out demons. They are real. They can be active in all sorts of ways. But it's just as much a win for them if you say, I don't believe any of that. There's nothing spiritual. Just enjoy the here and now. Get ripped at the gym. Make a lot of money. Spend it on yourself. Take it easy. There's no life after this one. There's no God. He's got you. Doing weird, freaky stuff, that wouldn't help him. That would just wake you up to the fact that there is a spiritual dimension. In that book, C.S. Lewis goes on to say how it's funny that we always picture the devils putting things into our minds when actually their best work is done by keeping certain topics out of our minds. Satan's very happy to work in ordinary, non-freaky ways like we saw last week. He lies to us through the messages that we hear in our culture. He says, trust your instincts. Be true to yourself. That's what's really important. Do what feels right. A bit like this ad for Sydney Uni. Put yourself first. Me first. Who wouldn't want to hear that? Except if you think about it, isn't that the attitude that's kind of wrecking everything in our world? Now, I'm not saying there's demons running Sydney Uni. I went there for university and I didn't see any demons. But what I am saying is that Satan has shaped our whole culture so that all the messages that we hear speak like that. He shifts our attention away from anything to do with the true God and his purposes. But there is a spiritual dimension. We believe in God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in angels. And we believe in fallen angels, the ones who rebelled against God in their pride. They're spiritual beings, it says. They're not physical. Um, they're not equal with God. Don't make that mistake. No, they're lesser created beings, but they are powerful and so they are dangerous. And in fact, you'll see in this passage, you can't win alone, verse 10. It says, be strong in the Lord. And this passage will teach us how to do that. That's what we'll see. But it's the grand final tonight. Panthers, anyone? Looking around at the handful of people here. Or bunnies? Every single player will walk into that stadium like they're going into battle. Focused. They will have watched hours of videos of the other team to learn their tactics. They'll have spent even more hours practicing their own tactics. And that's just a game. You're not in a game. You're in a real battle. And it's not an ordinary battle. It's a spiritual fight. Heaven and hell. Your salvation, the salvation of others, that's on the line. And there is the possibility that you won't stand. That's why Paul wraps up his letter, his parting words, with this passage. He wants us to know, verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. The way you live is not just your personal preference. 
It has cosmic significance. Our lives are the turf of a cosmic war being fought in the heavenly realms. And so how do you fight? How can we stand a chance? On the topic of of spiritual warfare, there's actually no passage in the Bible as detailed as this one. And so are you ready for the 10 steps to cast out a demon? Tonight we're going to find out just how much garlic to use and then later Troy will show us how to slice it. No, no, no. You, You might expect we'd find that. You might expect here's how to perform an exorcism. But that's not what Paul says. You don't find it mentioned here at all. Now, Jesus did cast out demons. He believed in that, and so we do as well. But you'll notice when he did it, he just spoke a word and prayed. There was no big fight. And as you read through the New Testament, what you find is that there are less and less as it goes on. There seems to be a cluster of activity, but then as the book of Acts unfolds, there's less and less until it's not mentioned at all. When you get to the letters like Ephesians, you find that there's no focus on exorcisms hardly at all. And we know that a Christian can never be possessed by a demon. The Holy Spirit lives in all true Christians. And 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 18 says that the Holy Spirit will never live alongside a demon. Jesus is greater than any demon. Once you become a Christian, you can't be possessed by them. If you're worried by demons, and I know people that are, become a Christian. If you ever wonder if someone else has a demon, pray for them. Speak the word of God to them, tell them the gospel, and urge them to become a Christian. Don't go meddling around with spiritualism, with ghosts and powers that you don't understand. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 14 says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. I'm sure that evil spirits will be perfectly happy to let you feel good for as long as you like in this life if it means you get destroyed and your soul is destroyed forever. Spiritual forces don't love you. They didn't die on the cross for you. They can't take away your sins. They won't give you eternal life. Only Jesus can do those things. And so come to Jesus and then don't worry about being demon-possessed. But you do need to fight. So if it's not through exorcisms, what is it that we do? Well, It says that God has given us all we need for the fight. He's given us armor. But it's very ordinary. And yet it's powerful, as we'll see. First of all, let's look at its power. Look at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. God has given us incredible power for this fight. As I said, that means you can't win apart from the Lord. And so let me encourage you again. If you don't know Jesus, you'll lose this fight. But you can come to him any time, even tonight. Do that. Join the fight. But the question is, how do you do verse 10? How do you be strong in the Lord? How do you access this power? Well, verse 11 and verse 13 tell you, it says, put on the armor of God. It's his armor, his power for the fight. And then verses 14 and onwards tell you what to put on. It tells you how to use that power for the fight. And so you've got verse 14, a belt and a breastplate. Verse 16, a a shield. And lots of crazy youth pastors will get dressed up as they teach this passage. But instead of focusing on the belt, the key is to focus on what it's a belt of. Verse 14, the belt of truth. Truth is the armor. Belt's just a metaphor. And so let's skim through it and get the big picture. Verse 14, the belt of truth, the truth that we find in the Bible, especially the truth of the gospel. 
Verse 14 again, the breastplate of righteousness. That is, if you look at righteousness in Ephesians, it's living God's way. The gospel is what teaches us how to live. Verse 15, our shoes are fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. It's being ready, eager to share the gospel. Verse 16, the shield of faith, trusting God. And especially, of course, it's faith in the gospel. That's what saves us. It's forgiveness and it's eternal life, um, which then, verse 17, is our helmet, the helmet of salvation, knowing that we're saved as we hear in the gospel. And the sword, verse 17, is the word of God, the Bible, which teaches us the truth about God and the gospel. Lastly, verse 18, he spends the longest time talking about prayer. Isn't it boring? I was expecting it would be spectacular. But the way that you access God's mighty power is so ordinary. It's just basic Christian living. It's the gospel, the truth of the gospel, a life changed by the gospel, faith in the gospel, sharing the gospel, knowing that you're saved by the gospel, and all of that through the Bible and prayer. Kanye, I don't know quite what's going on with Kanye, but he would say, use this gospel. It's a hard road to heaven. Call on his blessings. In the Father, we put our trust. I scribbled it down, but I wrote it too small. God has given us all of these things in the gospel. And if you do the basics of Christian living, you are accessing, verse 10, God's mighty power. I wonder if that's a little bit disappointing. It's just so boring, so ordinary. Or is it exciting? Because it means that you, yes, even you, can access God's power today. Do you know what can happen as we go through the Christian life? At least this happened for me. When I became a Christian, I wanted to grow. All real Christians do. I wanted more of God. I started to wonder, is there a secret that I'm missing out on? You know, maybe if I just learned to pray a certain way. You know, those Christians, they seem to have so much more going on than me. Maybe I need to find out how they got it. But it can be dangerous. Now, of course, the desire is good, but you have to look for God and his power where he says to look. Because actually what that desire can do, it can make you unsatisfied with what God has already given us. And so you go looking for some secret and it takes you down the garden path. It actually can rob you of the very thing that you're looking for. See, for me, instead of realizing what I already had in Jesus, he already had brought me God. I became focused on what I thought I didn't have. No, God has already given us what we need. Now, I'm not saying don't learn. Of course, we always learn more but we don't need some secret method. It's all here. For example, prayer. Verse 18, I've been challenged by this passage over the last few days to pray more. Are you challenged as you read verse 18? Notice all of the all words. Pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Do you do that? And do you pray, as verse 19 says, also for the spread of the gospel? Prayer is powerful. But is there a special sort of prayer that will get me extra power? Yes. Sort of. It's the prayer that we pray through Jesus. The prayer that all Christians pray. We've got the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit brings us to Jesus so that because of Jesus, God hears our prayers 
And if we're Christians praying in the name of Jesus, then whenever we pray, we are praying in the Spirit. And so is there a kind of prayer that's specially powerful? Yes, the one we all pray. And so no. Look at verse 18. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Not just some special kind, all kinds of prayers. Prayer is not powerful because of the type of prayer that you pray. It's powerful because God is powerful. And he's the one you're praying to. So be encouraged in your prayers. The little prayers that you throw up all through the day. Forgive me. Help me. Save them. Comfort them. Thank you. That is how we overcome Satan. Just look in your Bibles, verses 14 to 18, at the pieces of armor that God has given us. Aren't you struck by just how basic they are? God's power is spectacular, but the way we access it is very ordinary. Let me remind you, I know you know this, let me remind you again of the basics of Christian living. If you're new to these things, maybe this is new to you, welcome. But let me just ask you, are you doing these things? We learn the truth from the Bible instead of following the culture and we put it on. We consciously think about it. Verse 14, we try to live righteous lives instead of following sin. Verse 15, we try to share the gospel. We know what it is and we know that Ephesians chapter 2, we're, we're sinners, but God has saved us, not by what we do, but by grace through Jesus' death for us so that everyone who turns to Jesus trusts him is forgiven and has eternal life. And we just try to help people understand that and trust in Jesus. Verse uh, 16, we trust God, especially as we see him in the gospel, when we feel beat down and guilty, we trust his promise of forgiveness. When life is really hard and we wonder if God loves us, we see his death on the cross for us in the gospel and we trust his love. And so, Verse 17, we remember that he saved us. We remember this life is not our home. We have an eternal perspective. And we read and speak the word of God, the Bible, to ourselves, to each other, just like we're doing right now. And we'll do all this term in our growth groups. And we do all those things with prayer. Are you doing the basics? That's how we fight. and It's very ordinary. But look how powerful it is. Verse 13, let me encourage you with a promise. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and it will, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. There's a promise there that you will be able to withstand whatever Satan throws at you with these ordinary things. That's power. You will be able to stand against Satan. You notice our goal is to stand four times in this passage. Verse 11, so you can take your stand. Verse 13, so that you may be able to stand. And after you've done everything, to stand. Verse 14, to stand firm. It's not a very glamorous goal. We're not the ones charging in, conquering Satan. That's actually God's job. And he's already done it in Jesus on the cross. In fact, flick back to chapter 1 and look at verse 19 and 21. Paul's talking about this exact same power that's at work in us. And Paul says, verse 19, that power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. 
far above, and then he names all the same things we've just been looking at, the spiritual forces, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in the heavenly realms, every name that's invoked. He's saying Jesus has been, he's died and he's been resurrected, and he now sits above them. He has conquered them. And so right from the very start of this letter, Paul has already declared to you this battle has been won. And the fact that you're a Christian today proves it. Satan, even Satan, has not been able to stop you from hearing the gospel and believing it. Your sins are forgiven. And if you've been a Christian for a few years and you can look back at some of the ways that God has grown you, and I know hundreds of us can, we are proof that Satan has been conquered. So our job is not to beat Satan. Jesus has already done that. It's to stand against Satan as he fights a losing battle against us. It's a bit like this. In South Texas, a few years ago, uh, there was a husband and wife in the garden, uh, Jennifer and uh, Jeremy. And they were just uh, doing some work in the garden and uh, this rattlesnake appeared. And the hero husband grabs a shovel, just chops off its head. The snake's dead, gone. Reaches down to put in the bin. And the decapitated head turns around and grabs him and bites him on the arm. Ends up getting airlifted to hospital in a coma. Nearly died. Apparently that's um, not uncommon. For 90 minutes after they've lost their head. Crazy. It's a bit like that with Satan. He's lost and he knows it. But he would love to take just one or two more victims with him. He'll try to stop you from being saved. He'll distract you. Just as you start to take spiritual things more seriously. It's amazing how often I've seen it. As people get close to becoming Christians, suddenly life gets very busy for them. Suddenly, that guy or that girl they've always liked shows an interest, never before. Suddenly, uni just gets super hectic. And suddenly you feel like you don't have time to think about the most important questions in life. No wonder it says, verse 18, Be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Realize this is going on. Be alert to it. And as we come back to church, well, first of all, will you come back to church? But will you notice and pray for those who aren't? Don't be sucked in. Satan will do anything to make you forget the importance of spiritual things. Additionally, Satan will try to divide us as a church. Don't you think we live in a very divided time? Seems like it's getting more and more divided. Social media polarizes us. You know, YouTube's algorithms push you down your rabbit hole, that person down theirs. And so we're divided by all sorts of things, political issues, vaccines, and that's on top of all the normal, usual tricky stuff, like just personalities and relational trickiness of life together. And so as we start to come back as a church, we will face a challenge. We, haven't been, a, we have been apart long enough, um, perhaps, to, to forget the love that we once knew we had for each other. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. I hope you did catch that vaccine mandates in the church seminars that, that were a few weeks ago. But if you missed them, can I encourage you to watch them? They're on YouTube, uh, just our church's YouTube. Even if you're not worried particularly about the vaccination thing, what you'll hear there is what God wants for us as a church in this season, how we should treat one another. Love, peace, patience. The most important thing is actually not what we think about vaccines, climate change, anything else like that. 
It's how we treat each other, particularly perhaps those we disagree with. And so I wonder, are you praying for all the Lord's people? Are you praying for the unity of our church? Jesus has won the victory. We are united to each other in the most profound way. Stand against Satan and live in love toward one another. And one other thing Satan will try to do, he'll try to stop you from becoming more like Jesus. Temptation, situations, lies, distractions. He'll do anything he can to keep you from growing. And that book, The Screwtape Letters, that I mentioned a bit earlier, what it is, C.S. Lewis wrote it like a series of letters from one demon to another, a master demon to a trainee demon. And he's telling him, here's how you can tempt humans away from the, the enemy. Of course, their enemy is God. Now, it's all speculation, but it's quite an insightful read, insightful into human nature and perhaps into Satan's tactics. But here's some, listen to this. This is what the master tempter says to his trainee. You'll say, but these are very small sins. And doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, from God. It doesn't matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light. Murder is no better than cards. I think he's talking about gambling there. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Isn't that a scary picture? And I've seen it happen. Satan, he's been defeated. That's not your job. But your job is to stand. Stand firm in Jesus so that you are saved. Stand firm in unity as a church. And stand firm in that moment of temptation so that you are growing more like Jesus. So let me finish with three mistakes that you could be making right now. Are you making one of these mistakes? Here's the first one. You're not even fighting. Did you notice that we're told, uh, well, we're not told just to have these things. We're told over and over again to put them on, verse 11. Put them on, verse 13. And you might have known everything I've said so far since Sunday school. But maybe it might as well be in the bottom of your sock drawer for all you're doing with it. Apparently, uh, when I was a toddler, my dad wrote this in a letter about me to, to his dad. He said, Andrew is much, I was probably three or four years old, he said, Andrew is much better at repeating our instructions than keeping them. Is that you? It's possible that you know the armor. Maybe you've even memorized the passage, but you're not using it. That won't help. God's instruction to you tonight is to put on the armor, to stop hitting the snooze button on your Christian life, to wake up and, and get fighting. My three-year-old last Sunday said to me, Dad, can we take the training wheels off the bike? Okay. And she did pretty well. A week later, she's got a cast on her arm. But that, that actually wasn't from that bike. That was from a, her old bike, her, that she's good at. But anyway, but one thing she's learning as she rides this bike without training wheels is that she actually does have to keep pedaling. 
being a Christian is a bit like that. You stop pedaling, you go for a while, but then you start to wobble, and then you fall. Have you stopped pedaling? Yes, you're watching now because your family does, your friends do, maybe your boyfriend or your girlfriend, but there's not much actually going on inside you. Well, put on the armour. Start to actively do things in your life, in your thinking. Start to deliberately think about the truths from God's word. Start to pray. Start to read the Bible. Start to fight sin. In other words, start to repent. Maybe that'll be for the first time tonight. Or maybe it'll be for the hundredth time. But trust in Jesus as your saviour. Live for him as your Lord. And so if the Holy Spirit, through this passage, his sword is convicting you, you need to do that. Why not listen to verse 18? Why not even press pause on the stream and spend some time praying to God and ask him to help you fight? There's the first mistake. You're not fighting. There's another mistake you can make, which is that you've missed where the battle is. Is this you? You see, as we, as we stop following the way of this world, like we saw last week, the world that's following the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians chapter 2, We're called to a new way of life that touches every detail. And so the battleground is in the very ordinary details of your life. It's how you are at home, at work. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 27, talks about giving the devil a foothold. That sounds very scary. What, What is it that gives the devil a foothold? Well, you read the verse before, it's, getting angry and sinning when you're angry, which doesn't sound very big, does it? But Satan will use that sin. That means there's no sins that we can put in the, that's an okay sin basket. What you say to people that you live with when they're getting on your nerves after another week of lockdown, that matters. The armor of God is righteousness. And if you let yourself get away with compromises somewhere, you'll compromise somewhere else as well. Put on the armor of righteousness when you're at home, when you're on your computer, what you look at or what you buy on the computer. I don't just mean pornography, what you look at and think about in a whole bunch of ways. Chapter 5 verse 3 says, Among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed. Online shopping. (laughs) What you do with your paycheck matters. Which means the battleground is also about how you work. What do you do at work when no one's watching? Lockdown has made that harder if you, if you now work from home, hasn't it? But chapter 6, verse 6 says to work hard, not just to impress your boss when they're watching, but even when they're not watching, because you serve Jesus and he sees. It's the decision that you make when another one of your workmates asks you to lie for them. Chapter 4, verse 25. Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. That applies also to the temptation to fudge it a little bit on your timesheet. Oh, what? Everyone else is doing it. If we just say this, we get paid an extra $50 as long as you don't tell Centrelink. Each of you put off falsehood, speak truthfully. Chapter 4, verse 28. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. It's also about what happens inside you when they offer you a promotion. 
You know, they say nice things about you. You could make partner one day. You could be the youngest, the first. We'll fly you to Melbourne, to London for training. Oh, you only just got married. Don't worry, it's only for six months. Your relationship will survive. They'll be there when you get back. Oh, you help out the kids at your church. That's cute. I'm sure someone else can do it. Six months later, your marriage is on the rocks. You've had six months without spiritual support, no accountability. You've never really settled in a new church. In fact, the only thing going well in your life is your job. And so that's what you think about. Because that's what makes you feel good. They got you. They don't care about you most of the time. They'll fly you anywhere in the world if it puffs you up, if it means you'll give your whole life to them, which you will, because you won't have invested anywhere else. If you make sacrifices for your job that you would never make for Jesus, they've got you. Do you see how the battleground is the ordinary things of your life? It's home, work. So how do you use this armor when you go to the battleground of work? Well, firstly, the truth. You remind yourself often, you remind one another, this is not my home. Eternity is. I am not my job. I don't need this to prove my worth. I'm a child of God. I don't need to steal. God's my provider. He knows what I need. And besides, I'm not here to leech off people. I'm here to do good. God's called me to do good works. That's, that's why I have a job. So I'm going to work hard today because maybe no one will thank me, but Jesus sees. And no, I could not move away from my wife. Ephesians chapter 5 says to love her and lay down my life for her. And so you read the Bible. Over and over again, someone asked my dad, haven't you finished it yet? Yeah, lots of times he has. But the sword of the Spirit, over time, it cuts down the lies. So you read it, you speak it to each other, and you put on the, the breastplate of righteousness. You don't snuggle up to just the little sins, fight those ones, ignore those ones. Now we all slip up, but you fight. Whenever you see a sin anywhere, you confess it to God and to others, you repent. Because you know even the little ones matter. And over time, you become better at it. So that when the big moment of testing comes, well, you've had a lot of practice. No, I don't do that. And of course, that's all empowered by God's Spirit. Now, there's the feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel, which means you live for something bigger than your job. The best defense is a good offense, isn't it? We can take souls out of Satan's hands with this gospel. Isn't that exciting? We fight back. And so you pray each morning like Paul does, verses 19 and 20, for opportunities to share it and then for courage to take them and words to say in them. And so you go to work hoping for, looking for moments to ask the summer series question, to share some of the hope that you've found. And that actually gives meaning and purpose to everything. A lot more meaning than the silly title that they offer you. Chief executive. But I won't have time to teach EV kids. That's not a promotion, that's a demotion. I'm an ambassador of the gospel. There's no higher title than that. 
Don't you see? I mean, yeah, sure, what we do here at work is good. We help people. I I like doing it. But at EV Kids, we see kids rescued from hell. And Johnny, who, who sits over there, he's on his way to becoming a Christian as well. I don't care what you put on the name tag. That's plastic. I'm living for eternity. But it takes faith to see that. The shield of faith, verse 16. To believe those truths, to make the tough calls. And so you pray when you face a difficult decision, God, help me trust you. And then you try it. You live like you know God can be trusted. And he can. Now there'll be times that you fail. And so you don't beat yourself up. No, you remember the helmet of salvation. I'm saved. I'm forgiven. It's not my performance. It's never been about my good deeds. And so I can rejoice that I'm saved, rejoice that it's a fresh start tomorrow. Now, I reckon we could say a lot more about all of that, but we'd be here all night. So let me just move on to the last mistake. Mistake number three. You're fighting, but you're trying to be strong in yourself. Instead of verse 10, being strong in the Lord. When you face temptation, what do you do? Do you simply try to resist by your own willpower? Or do you first of all pray for God's help? When you suffer, do you just try to buckle up and get through it? Or do you remind yourself of God's truths from the Bible? Now, we do need to put some of our effort in, but mainly what we do with our effort is just grab hold of these things that God has given us. So we use our effort to start praying. And we use our effort to to shift our thinking towards the truth. And we use our effort to open the Bible. And we use our effort to remind one another. And we use our effort, yes, to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. But we do that one with all those other things in place. And it'll be amazing. You'll be amazed. It won't be easy, but God will grow you. Verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Satan will be embarrassed by how little impact he's having as you begin to look more and more like Jesus. Sometimes a Christian brother or sister will say, I'm not growing. I'm not enjoying the Christian life. It's no fun. I'm stuck in sin. I'm going backwards. I've got all these doubts. And I think we all face that from time to time. But what I've found almost always with that person is you ask them, okay, well, are you reading your Bible? Not much. Have you been praying? Not really. What about fighting sin? Uh, Only a bit. Well, no wonder you're feeling spiritually dry. I mean, I know there can be other factors, but it's amazing how often it's actually just the basics. And once a person starts to do these things, sometimes also to make some courageous decisions to get rid of sin in their life, a few weeks later, a few months later, they're in a far better place. You see, having the armor and walking, uh, is not the same as putting it on and walking in it. Maybe you're making that mistake, are you? You're fighting, but you're doing it in your own strength. Right now, ask that God would help you to do it in his strength. And if you do that, verse 13 says, You are able to stand. Satan cannot conquer you. I'm not saying it'll be a smooth ride. You'll probably suffer. You maybe even lose your life. But you will be saved. You might stumble at times, but you will become more like Jesus. The armor is very ordinary. It's basic Christian living, 
But if you use it, you'll find it's very powerful. How about we pray? Thank you, Father, that you are powerful. You are the Savior from beginning to end. You sent Jesus. He died to take our sins. And we pray that each of us tonight will trust him for salvation, but also trust in him for our growth and our fight against Satan. We pray that we will be people who put on the armor and stand firm and also people who go out with readiness given by the gospel of peace. We pray that as church opens up, we'll be united in that mission, that we'll be inviting people, that people will be hearing about Jesus and rescued from Satan's dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. We pray that will happen over and over and over again this summer and all our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.